with you so uh we know that everybody's clamoring for uh disney plus and mandalorian stuff and all that um trust me we've already watched it and uh come our next full episode we will be running down disney plus our thoughts the mandalorian the whole nine yards but uh think of this as kind of like an extended geek pick as uh i've probably mentioned the uh The Dark Crystal show that has hit Netflix is absolutely astonishing, and you should see it. So we gave it a a little bit of a wait, just in case there's spoilers in this. Um, You should be good, though. I think we avoided. And uh, I talked to uh, one of the biggest uh, Jim Henson Dark Crystal people that I know, and that would be our good friend Jay Fosgett. So we talked for about 20 minutes about uh, what he thought of the show and our thoughts of what they should be doing with season two and things like that. And it was kind of a good conversation. So if uh, you are one of those people out there who are having log on problems with Disney plus, uh, maybe go back to Netflix and give uh, the, the dark crystal show a, a little bit of a chance. It's all there. And so you can even flip to it. Uh, in the meantime, this is me and uh, Mr. Jay Fosgett. Well, as uh, our loyal listeners know, we look for any chance to talk to our uh, next guest. And as it turns out, we got a pretty good reason to this time. On the line with me is Mr. Jay Fosgett. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. And we are going to talk the new Dark Crystal series uh, currently on Netflix. And uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, we both think it's pretty awesome at this point absolutely so um we've talked before in a, a couple other interviews and some panels throughout the years about your connection with jim henson and various henson properties but i don't think you and i've ever really discussed uh where the dark crystal kind of falls in with uh, your love of all things Henson. So oh, okay. um, you mind telling me about like where it kind of fits in your, your creative brain? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of discovered it after the fact. I was, I believe, either in the first or second grade when the movie came out. So it was way off my radar. Obviously, I was a Muppet fan, but I knew nothing about this. And then all of a sudden, it came to HBO And it came to HBO the same time Fraggle Rock came out. So I was kind of discovering both of them at the same time. And as I'm reading up on this, I'm like, wow, this is a Jim Henson creation. This is nothing like Sesame Street or Muppet Show. This is a whole next level. You know, I'm a little kid and I realize the vast difference of what we have here. And I was absolutely transfixed. I mean... So many of my generation grew up saying they were traumatized by it because of the darkness or the creatures were scary. (laughs) And and I get that, but maybe it was because of the Henson connection that I couldn't not love it. So I always have. It's always been a huge, huge 
uh, show for me, and and that world has meant so much to me. I, I think it's really one of those properties that, like you said, uh, it, theatrically it did not incredibly well, but it really found an audience when it hit uh, like HBO or uh, up here in Canada would have been the the Super Channel, I think, at the time, and like mm. home video. Because much like you, that's how I discovered the film. It yes. Like, probably even a couple years after what you're talking about, like, because I got the kind of the double whammy of that and Labyrinth sort of like all in within, like in my mind, it was in with one weekend. <laughs> so I learned um, this is interesting little bit here of trivia. I learned about Labyrinth from Jim Henson. Because the first time I wrote Jim and I got his secretary's response, because I wrote to him a couple times before we eventually connected, and okay. his secretary's like, Jim's away making a new fantasy film called Labyrinth, but I'll make sure he sees your letter and et cetera. And I'm like, Labyrinth, what's that going to be about? You know, so that was already on my radar. Yeah, it, well, that... <laughs> <laughs> That's really kind of cool because it, for uh, our younger listeners, that was back before the interwebs. <laughs> so, like, he like the, this would have been in probably featured, I imagine, in Starlog and stuff like that. But like, yes. not it wasn't like heavily movies back then when they were being made. You kind of didn't really find out about it until they came out. Right? No, Starlog was fantastic in that regard. Yeah, uh, uh, there's a couple of those magazines that I really sort of miss at this point. But um, I found I, I found the Starlog issue actually that first broke the story. I have oh, really. Now. Yeah, I got it cheap at some some old antique shop, and I was just over nice. the moon to find that. So, which moves us into uh, this new Dark Crystal, which is a prequel to the original film. Yeah. Um, and uh, prequels have kind of like a connotation. They're a little bit of a mixed bag sometimes. Uh, what did you think of the series? Have, have you watched the entire thing at this point? I did. I, I shotgunned the whole thing in a weekend. Oh. <laughs> um, because working from home, I have that that luxury. So, mm. um, but, you know, just, just sort of a blanket statement here. It is wonderful. And it's everything we who grew up with the original dark crystal and everything we loved about it it's everything we want it to be i really found that it was updated in in ways but still feels exactly like the old one like uh, the 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 puppets seem to me uh, a little bit maybe more smoother but still look like they belong in the original film yeah or Maybe I'm misreading it. No, not at all. Um, what's really cool is that while they said, yes, we're still doing it with puppets, they had all this great technology at their disposal now that they didn't have almost 40 years ago, obviously. And it made the performances so much easier and more fluid. Um, like where they used to cram, I couldn't, at least a half dozen performers under a Skeksis back in 1981 when they were filming the original yeah. Dark Crystal. Now they can blue screen out the pup or green screen out the puppeteers. They just have them wear those all green uh, suits that you can just erase in the computer, essentially. Oh, I was unaware of that, but it makes a lot of sense now that you say it. It's a freedom of movement for them uh, mm. considerably. 
So, uh, what did you think of the the story? Did it hold up to what you were hoping, or, or did you kind of go in with low expectations and and on the off chance that this wasn't going to be good? Uh, I'll tell you the truth. I I went in uh, full optimism. Like I had no doubt it was going to be good. I just had no preconceived ideas of what the story was going to be about. I mm. mean, I knew I knew it was a prequel, but I've never. I mean, in the years since the movie came out, there has been a lot written about the world and everything and, and the, the creatures within and the history. And I haven't followed the majority of that because it wasn't necessarily Henson sanctioned. And yeah. uh, I didn't know how much stock to put into it. Like, for example, there's been a fan site for at least a decade, I'd say probably 15 years, called The World of Thra. I think that's okay. what it's called. And I, you know, when the movie came out, at no point in the movie do they say this world is called Thra. Mm. You know, but evidently that was always the case. And this fan site picked up on that. And uh, thankfully, this new series expands on all that. We know the name of the world. We uh, we know where the Skeksis come from and the mystics and um, to a much greater level than what we find out in the original movie. Uh what did you think of the the voice actors that are used in this? Because the the original Henson movie it was it was a lot of kind of the usual suspects that were working on it at the time, partially due to budget and partially due, I imagine, to uh, the for Jim's sort of creative security. Like they were guys that and women that he could trust and right. knew would come out. But in this one, all the, the voiceover cast, a large majority of it is uh, famous people. Well, so, uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt. You're right. No, go ahead. Um, so I, I definitely have opinions about that, but they're all uh, positive opinions. So when, when they made the original movie, um, it wasn't his puppeteers doing the voices. Only two of... Jim's puppeteers did voices oh, for it. Steve, okay. Whit, uh, Steve Whitmire was the original uh, voice. Let me see here. I'm trying to the the scientist Skeksis. He was the original voice for that character, uh, and okay. and Steve was Kermit's performer after Jim died, and he was Wembley on Fraggle Rock and mm. uh, Bean Bunny. If you remember that character, but now uh, you know Steve has parted ways with both uh, Disney through the Muppets and hasn't worked for Henson in years either. Uh, he's doing his own thing these days, doing a lot of convention stuff. So of course they, they bring in someone like you said, as a name and it's Mark Hamill and Mark Hamill has proved himself over the last 30 years to be one of the greatest voice actors available. Um, yeah. and so he did a wonderful job. Um, the, the voice, the, the only voice I really wasn't on board with, honestly, uh, Z was it Skekzak, the Ritual Master, um, was voiced by Keegan Michael Key. Uh, okay, which you know from Key and Peele, mm. and I love him as an actor. But the original voice for Skekzak was Jerry Nelson, and Jerry was the greatest actor within the Muppet troupe. You know, oh. uh, great performer, great voice actor, and he had this. Orson Wellesian kind of delivery that that key just doesn't have. Um, mm. But having said that, he's still a good actor, so it, it was just fine. And you, you, you write it off as, well, he's a younger version of the character or whatever. 
But other than that, all the voice talent, uh, well-known or otherwise, perfect. Loved it. I was amazed at the amount of voice talent that they they had in it. Like I remember seeing like when they announced the show and when they started announcing the casting slowly. But then when you watch an actual episode and like there's Sigourney Weaver doing the narration and the the yeah. guy from the Kingsman's in it and Mark Strong who isn't pigeonholed as a villain this time, which was pretty <laughs> cool. I thought that was a really cool role for him because it's nice to see him be a relative. I mean, he was a relative good guy in the Kingsman, but yeah. still, you know him to be the villain in like everything because he's so got yeah. those dark eyes and whatnot. Um, yeah, and I, I just. Uh, I, Mark Hamill so far for me is kind of the the MVP. I he is it, and it was nice to have him doing a voice like you could recognize that it was Mark Hamill, but it wasn't the Joker either. No, no, because he can do more voices than just that, but that's all he's ever asked to do. Yeah, um, one of my favorite characters he played was in a show called Time Squad, where he played this very effeminate, proper robot who assisted the team in fixing flaws in history, and he was just comedy gold in that, so. <laughs> um, so from the, the puppetry standpoint, was there anything that stood out to you? For for me, I, w- I was amazed at how well they managed to mix it with a little bit of CGI, but not overabundance of CGI either. Like it, no, it yeah. reminds me a lot of how uh, Guillermo del Toro uses it. Is like it's used in spots to kind of enhance things, but not overtake things. I agree. Um, uh, what what I love so uh, Louis, I'm not going to pronounce his name right. Louis Lentner, Latern, I don't know. The director yeah. of the entire series, he directed uh, the the Incredible Hulk with Ed uh, oh, uh, Ed Norton. Ed Norton, thank you. Um, he directed that, and he directed a Clash of the Titans remake. And he's actually a great director, but because neither of those movies did like gangbusters, he's been kind of discounted. And he did such a brilliant job directing this entire film having never directed puppetry before and the Hensons were just praising him up and down for how he dove right into it and he's like no 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 I want to try these new things I want to try these camera angles and and whatnot and it just added a dynamicism to it that otherwise may not have been there under a lesser director do you think it's because in some ways because he wasn't a puppet director like he wasn't out of the Henson camp that kind of gave it a little bit of a different look i do i do because someone who has a background in puppetry is going to be a lot more hesitant and know the limitations of puppetry whereas like with the muppet movie james frawley directed that and he was known for directing episodes of the monkeys back in the 60s he had a comedy (laughs) improv background he'd never directed puppets and yet arguably jim should have been nominated for an oscar for kermit's performance in the original Muppet movie, because there's so much uh, pathos amongst the comedy, and that's all James Frawley's direction. You know, mm-hmm. you get someone who's coming at it from a fresh perspective, and you're going to get really amazing things, so long as they can still be in that world and be honest to the characters and their stories. So, in, with the, this season one is done, um, I'm imagining we're getting a season two. Uh, I don't know if it's been greenlit, but I, due to the overwhelming positivity towards the series, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. I, um, what are yeah. you kind of hoping for out of a second season? Um, 
I, I can't say without giving a, a spoiler that I don't want to do to you. So okay, let's, no let's, just, let's just say there's uh, a, a character who I want to see what what happens to them. Uh, I mean, I, you want to see that with everyone, but there's one character in particular yeah. who's won my heart, and I really want to to see the best possible result because it's kind of a cliffhanger. Um, but my gosh, everything that they gave us in this show, it, it was obvious they were going to make a season two. This was, I believe, their most successful series since Stranger Things, and I may be a little off on that, but I know it was just a gold I know it did them. really well. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me. Interesting uh, thing. So I've done a lot of research on this, obviously, since it came out. Henson originally came to Netflix and said, so we're thinking about doing a CGI animated uh, Dark Crystal series. What do you think? Mm. And, and Netflix is the one who's like, you know, guys, we really want to do it with puppets. You know, we, we'd really like to stick to tradition with this. And for, for Netflix to be the voice of reason there just is kind of a mind blower. But it was really a, a smart move, obviously. Especially since I would imagine doing the puppet version would be more expensive at this point than doing like a full CGI show. I think, yeah, I think you're right. In a lot of ways it would be. Um, but Netflix really believed in the, this property. And Henson, I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel like they don't know what to do with the properties they have. So mm. Louis, Le Louis Lentner originally came to Henson well before Netflix and said, I want to do a, a, a Dark Crystal movie, be it a sequel. Originally, they were talking a sequel. And then when it became a prequel, he's like, I'm still on board. And then Netflix got involved and he was still on board. So he was the real champion behind all of this. In some ways, that doesn't surprise me too, too much, because uh, for a number of years, he was the guy who was attached to Dune, like a, a new version of Dune that that never ended up getting made, uh, obviously, because mm -hmm. of the new one that's in production. Right. But I guess he must have like a, a soft spot for fantasy at any rate. Oh, for sure. Well, so originally, like after The Incredible Hulk came out, it wasn't a flop. But it wasn't like what we expected from Marvel movies later on. And yeah. Louis had gone to Marvel and said, guys, I know you're talking about doing Avengers. I want in. I am so on board. If you'll let me, I want to direct Avengers. And it almost came to that. But then when Joss Whedon's like, eh, I'm not doing anything at the moment. This could be fun. <laughs> it's Joss Whedon. You're not going to say no. And, yeah. and we, you know, and so that's how it worked out. But I'm so glad that we got Louie aboard such a wonderful property like Dark Crystal because you knew he was going to do something fun no matter what property he had his hands on. Yeah, it's interesting because you, I, I had forgotten that he directed the Hulk. For me, he's always the guy who directed the Transporter, the the Jason Statham movie. Oh, I love and that movie, I, too. Yeah, me too. That. I think he directed the first one of that, and I want to say uh, "Kiss of the Dragon." Okay. The uh, the Jet Lee. He, he was one of um. Oh, what's his name? The the guy directed uh, Fifth Element. Uh, 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 I was just trying uh, to think of his name too, because he produced the Transporter, but he didn't direct it. Uh, yeah. So, and he he's got like a whole whack of those action movies that were um, not high budget, but usually yielded a good return. Like there was yeah. the transporter and and that one and there there's a couple others that he's like, I always think it was like, well, this is a good idea, but I don't have time to do it, so we'll get somebody else to do. It. 
wouldn't. It's gotten more common with him. Like, I don't even know if he directed Valerian or not. Um, I feel like he might have, but, um, but yeah, I, and his name's still escaping me, and it bugs me. But uh, I do love yeah. his creative vision. So uh, that brings us a little bit to the the end of uh, our Dark Crystal uh, conversation. But uh, where can our listeners find and buy your stuff? Because uh, you you know that we are big fans at the show, but we want everybody to be big fans of yours, Jay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, you can find me at jfosgett.com. If you go to the links section, it has all my social media links in there. And you can always find me uh, to order commissions. And I have a full list of all the conventions I do throughout the year, several of which are in Toronto. Uh, so you can always find me at a show and get me there as well. Uh, when's the next time we're seeing you in our neck of the woods? Do you know? Well, uh, it might be a little early to say this, but I, I think I can safely say I'm going to be a guest at the holiday show that Fan Expo puts on on December 7th. Uh, I, I th- I'm pretty sure that's safe to say because I believe the guy who uh, heads up the comic department put it out on his uh, Facebook feed. Oh, <laughs> did he? <laughs> I, I think he mentioned you as part of the list of, of guys who were already signed up. If not, uh, I may edit it out just for my own good. <laughs> That's fine. I Well, I spoke to him on, I, I said I would love to do that show because now Toronto Comic Con and uh, Emerald City in Seattle are butted up against each other again next year. So I have to skip Toronto for my second year in a row in the uh, spring. That, 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 that makes sense. Uh, Emerald City is a good show, and it's also, from what I understand, that's one of the, the contact shows, right? Like uh, yeah. editors and stuff tend to go to that one. So. A lot of animators and editors and, you, you know, you name it. A lot of West Coast people that we don't get. But um, be, that was why I was pushing so hard to do the, the holiday show is I miss, you know, the city so much. And it's going to be a long spread until next August when I do Fan Expo then. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, we love you, Jay. And you are our favorite honorary Canadian. And thank, thank you for you. taking the time out. Uh, when season two rolls out, we'll be sure to have you back on. Thank you very much, Brent. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the True North Nerds, recorded at the Utility Cupcake Research Kitchen. Reach the nerds on Twitter at True North Nerds, on Facebook under, surprise, True North Nerds, and you can reach them by email at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. If you like the opening theme song, it's called Set Your Phasers to Sexy by Kirby Crackle from the album Sounds Like You. Please go to kirbycracklemusic.com or look them up on iTunes and buy everything that they have made. You won't regret it. So set your phasers to sexy.